Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... <laughs> Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Do, 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 do. Ah, Elizabeth. Ah! Gotcha. Gotcha. You totally, you've been waiting in here all day, haven't you? Yeah, the lights out, my knees are killing me. I've been under that console. Why are you wearing a tiara? Why not, dude? I mean, it looks good, but Why aren't you wearing one? Did you paint that with a permanent marker? Uh, Yeah. Looks good. Anyway, do you know what's ridiculous besides that? I do. What? Now, there is a listener. He's not ridiculous in the slightest. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stever Neither. Stever Neither. Yeah, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. This man... He sent something in that I swear to you, I thought was fake. Okay. There was just absolutely no way in the world this could be real. And then you got your team on it. I got the team on it. Mm-hmm. Me, two dogs, mm-hmm. a hamster, <laughs> and, a, and an Train. eight-year-old kid that I just found, you know, walking to school. <laughs> Trained circus monkey. Yeah. To, and, Who only yeah. answers to Pierre. Exactly. You know Pierre? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, we, the crack, my crack team and I mm-hmm. investigated this it's true this exists this is true okay this is a hundred percent true i'm gonna have to take your word for it like okay so here's here's the thing when what do you think of when i say tom petty um i mean ooh, but i i think of music videos yeah right specifically like ones like about like you know scenes of la don't come around here no more oh yeah yeah, but then like the um free fallen free fallen yeah Yeah. what's the one with the the with johnny kim bassinger is a dead woman Oh, uh, that was like a later, Last Dance. Yeah, that was like one later was one. Last that was, dance. That was yeah, yeah. crazy Mary imagery. Mary Jane's Last Dance. Yeah, yeah, crazy imagery in that one. Uh, great videos. Totally liked it. Great songs, American Girl. Oh, great songs, yeah. Tragic End. Yes, this is Tragic. true. It wasn't too long ago. No, no. Really. You know, he was a, another victim of, you know. Fentanyl, wasn't it? Fentanyl, yeah. and which is just the, the absolute devil. Um, so when you think of him, mm-hmm. do do you think of any anything else like that's non music or video related? Is this a mashup? Yes, I'm so sorry. Do you do you think of like marshmallows? No, I know I don't, Elizabeth. Moving on. Do you think of chocolate? 
Nope, still no. Okay, yep, well, you we should. Can, well, really. You should yeah, think I of should chocolate. Back my tracks up and think because about chocolate. Nothing says chocolate like Tom Petty. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. How? How? Florida's How finest. Does this nothing put says together. chocolate. So there's this company, um, Voje Ut Chocolate. Oh, sure. And sure, whatever. Just don't make me say I'm, that twice. I'm not saying it right, probably. Okay, so they have this collection of chocolate bars mm-hmm. that are the, it's a, Mashup, a crossover, uh, Tom Petty, Vosges, okay. <laughs> uh, chocolate. Right. And it's limited edition. This isn't the chocolate company that takes certain body parts and makes no, them. Okay. No, no. Okay, honey, good. No. Good. Okay. There, you know, this collection marries the world of music with the art of chocolate making, offering an experience that transcends the ordinary. Mm. Let me tell you what makes this sound so horrible and fake. Please do. I'm going to read you about Utchukla. Harmony. Okay. The magic of this chocolate collection lies in its unique infusion process. Mm. So we're talking about Tom Petty and Mm -hmm. chocolate, and there's an infusion process. Okay, I'm really hoping it's going to be like some weed butter or something. As these bars Uh gently make their way through the cooling tunnel. The cooling tunnel. They are serenaded with the timeless music of Tom Petty. They're infused with the music. This innovative technique is inspired by the belief that music can influence the crystallization of chocolate, resulting in a product that not only tastes extraordinary, Uh but also embodies the spirit and essence of Tom Petty's music. So this is like the same science of like, if I whisper mean words to water, it'll make ugly crystals of ice. Okay, It's sort of like... Like the movie, like Water for Chocolate. <laughs> but with Tom Petty like in Tom, there. Like Just Tom Petty for squeezed Chocolate. squeezed into that. But I mean, don't you think there's sort of a sorrowful edge to Tom Petty? Yes, I don't it's going to be some eat, bitter chocolate. I don't like sad chocolate. Yeah, that's going to be some sad, bitter Florida and chocolate. Well, they have three three flavors. Dark yeah. chocolate with sea salt. Okay. That, that reads sad to reads me. It reads sad and bitter, yeah. Uh, deep milk chocolate with marshmallow. I'll go there. Win some America, but go yeah, on. Yeah, that's, that's more American girl. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then deep milk chocolate with crispy hazelnut. I don't even know what to make of that I one. I don't either, but let me tell you something, yeah. Zarin. Yes. Zarin yes. Walter B. Yes. Elizabeth C.D. This is ridiculous. Oh, I'll give you that one. There it is. Producer Dave, mark one up for Elizabeth. Oh, that's, that's ridiculous. Oh, oh, you can that's also ridiculous. Buy a, a box set of it is 50 bucks. Otherwise, they're $7 a bar. Which Are they in like the CD, old CD long boxes? Yeah, yeah, no, like almost, almost. But yeah, and it's got like pretty cool art, but... Um, Will kids be selling these at like public transportation stations to raise money for the school? Yeah. Because then maybe they'll get my seven bucks. In like Brooklyn. Okay, cool. I'm into it. You got a second? Yeah, of course. So I got something ridiculous for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. You remember when you were young and dumb? No. And you, you loved a particular band? Oh, sure. What it band? It doesn't matter what band. No, oh, okay, you, you yeah. picture a band you loved, right? Right. And, and even more specifically, picture a single performer that you loved, right? You're just like, okay. I, I just longed and pined for them, right? Mm-hmm. Do you ever have like a musical crush where you felt their music so deeply in your bones, just like in every fiber of your body that didn't say a weak moment, maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe an emotional high. I don't know which way you roll. Sure. You would dream a, a particular dream. Like, what if I could literally kidnap that performer and make them sing just for me? Yeah. Right? I mean, nothing weird or creepy. You know, it's just like more like a genie wish, a really positive so, Disney-fied wish, right? Were you reading my journals and you know what I wanted to do to Vic Damone? Let's just, <laughs> let's just say this is about to be happy birthday, Elizabeth. Ow. No, but uh, if you could have one performer other than the fabulous Vic Damone play <laughs> for you over a long weekend who would it be elizabeth uh victim owen that's it that's it okay that's yeah. your answer your final answer <laughs> yes. well today i have a pair of stories for you not about victim owen <laughs> but about people who did exactly that to people other than victim owen uh-huh. they lived your dark dream oh yeah you ready i'm so ready 
This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Que ridiculous. Oh, Elizabeth. Hello. I feel like I should start over. I feel like I may have set up today's stories to sound kind of weird. Well, super weird and creepy, right? Yeah. But not in a fun, flirty way. But like, (laughs) truth be told, these stories, they're kind of weird, right? Okay. But not like, I want to wear your skin as a suit kind of weird. You know, not that weird. Yeah, right? please, Victimone, let me wear your skin <laughs> More like, who did what to who? That kind of weird. Oh, I right? like that. You love that kind of weird. I totally okay, so do. let's dive in. I like all kinds of weird. Yeah, you're kind of a weird girl. I am. I'm you're super a, weird. a maven of weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, what do you know about Fats Waller? Oh, wow. Street name Fats Waller, yeah. government name Thomas Wright Waller? Uh, nothing in depth. Right, he was one of the early jazz legends, yeah, right? But, Pioneer, yeah, yeah, sorry, but. piano of jazz. I know mm-hmm. you know this, right? He's famous, right? He took the New Orleans sound that was where jazz was getting its start, and he ran it through like a Harlem filter, and out pops stride piano. That yeah. style. He basically took like the uh, it's like you know, jumping, like yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, anyway, born in 1904, May 21st to be exact, comes into his full stride uh-huh, in the <laughs> 1920s. That was right when, this is a point when jazz is the hottest thing going in the world, right? Yeah. And I think you know some of his songs. I, if I ran some titles past mm-hmm. you, like me. Honeysuckle Rose. Oh, yeah. Ain't Misbehaving. Yeah. Okay, I figure you do. That, as I told you, guy, musical virtuoso, you put him on 88 keys and he would make that thing sing so pretty. And this started back when he was six years old. Six. Six years old. Well, virtuoso. Yeah, oh, yeah. Father was a preacher. Father wanted his son to use his gifts for the Lord. <laughs> and he was like, no, I want to do it for the hoochie coochie. So he got out there and he started dancing his fingers over the keys while these beautiful ladies and dapper gentlemen would, you know, get down. And he loved that lifestyle. This man was about about it. Now, also, he started so young as a performer, right? Young Thomas Waller, he does the inevitable thing. He drops out of school. He chases the music and the nightlife. His father, most displeased. Mm -hmm. But young Thomas Waller, he's loving it, right? Flash forward to the 1920s, earned the nickname Fats, and now he's this up-and-coming piano player working in Harlem night spots. And as I said, the dude... Great personality, brash, funny, garrulous, all kinds of charisma. Just, you want to watch him. The right guy at the right time. Totally, totally. Now he's a star in the nightclub scene in Harlem. Boom, kid's like 19 years old. God, 19 years old, right? Fats Waller gets the attention of all kinds of people who are looking to make money in this new music, right? They get him in a studio, he cuts a record, 1924, boom, his first hit song, Squeeze Me, right? Mm-hmm. Fats Waller sound, as I said, stride piano. Now, you're more of a musician than I am, so I don't you know may about be. That. Well, anyway, the sound of what stride piano, I had to kind of look it up to make sure I got this all right. But if you take Scott Joplin's Ragtime, right? And then you made that sound a little more jaunty and jazzy, right? And then the piano player's left hand is the one that strides. Yeah. Okay, so he kind of walks around on the keyboard and apparently he holds down a four-beat rhythm and then the left hand's playing on the ones and threes and he's playing a chord, right, on the twos and fours. So it's going back and forth between a rhythm note on the ones and threes and a chord on the twos and fours. So it's kind of walking around, right? Yeah. Now... As I said, you have more faculty with music than I do, or facility, rather. Uh, 
I can play a harmonica. I yeah. like a messy instrument with like, ah, oh, the note's kind of here, kind of there. I'm going <laughs> to fudge it over here. I'm going to bend it into this, right? You played the cello. Yeah. Correct? Yeah, I did. So that you have a fingerboard. Mm-hmm. You're used to that, placing the emphasis, because when you play an instrument with wind, it's very different about putting the emotion in it than with the fingers. Yeah, well, there's no fret on it. There's so a, it's, no, but yeah, but, I'm, but it's, there's no fretboard. There's, there's a neck, and but there's mm-hmm. still basically a string section where you're running an imaginary fretboard, yeah, right? Yeah, in your mind, you know where the... Yeah, the, you're the, imposing yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So when you're putting emotion into strings, how did, how does that occur? You know, is it is it the rhythm? Is it Do you feel it? Well, I think it's, it, particularly for something like the cello, it's, it's you know, uh, when you're playing with a bow, mm-hmm. it's, you know, how the pressure on it, sure. um, you know, vibrato with your finger, mm-hmm. or you can bend notes, you know, totally. and, and move it. And, and like, do like glissando type stuff. And, and then if you want to do a sound sneaky, then mm-hmm. you do pizzicato. <laughs> Little cat feet. <laughs> so uh, back to my man, Fats Waller. As I told you, lovable, roguish character. He's able to impart emotion into the feeling of the strings. He, he's sitting there dancing on his piano bench. So imagine him in a suit just gliding around, bouncing his little butt on the on the piano bench playing as i said stride style everyone loves him now he starts recording on rca victor he's got this six-piece combo elizabeth fats waller and his rhythm right hottest thing going in the mid-1920s fans all across the country not just in harlem and in chicago and detroit but all across the country one of his biggest fans you know this man you know his name yes one of the friend of the show oh mr alphonse capone <laughs> oh yeah the legendary chicago mob boss king of the gangland right capo de tutti copy <laughs> he was also a jazz man really well, i mean we know he played the banjo exactly the banjo he liked the hot house jazz tunes he was sitting out there mm-hmm. like django reinhardt right <laughs> anyway that I, I always kind of imagine him playing like you know wagon wheel music on a banjo <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> well, you think I think it's, it's funnier that way. Oh, it's funnier, yeah, definitely funnier. But picture his speakeasies, right? He's hanging out. He loves the the hot jazz. He kicked off the square dancing craze in fourth <laughs> grades across the country. I'm just gonna set that aside. The uh, the music that people listen to while sipping on his bootleg liquor, mm-hmm. hot hot jazz. Yeah. Square dance. square dance music, yeah. <laughs> now, this also the ladies of the night who they be dancing as folks are gambling in his illicit casinos. Mm-hmm. What type of music, Elizabeth? Banjo. Square dance. <laughs> <laughs> so as I'm pointing out, jazz, hot house jazz. Well, no, and, and banjo and real jazz. works into yeah. jazz. It's, it's like it, an original. Yeah, anyway, totally, totally. Everything sexy, fun, illicit. That's what Al, yeah. Al Capone is all about. And jazz is yeah, that like sound. Yeah, like swanky horns. Pick, and yeah, exactly. Jumping beats. Hot clarinets. You can lift your skirt tight up. Tight drums. Lift your skirt up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What kind of instruments do you play? No, no, I'm talking about when you're dancing. Oh, we're back to dancing. Yeah, and like yeah. you hear this music and you just pull dance. Your, pull your skirt you over your head. You just dance stock still <laughs> in the middle of the dance the floor. floor and lift your skirt. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's not how you dance at a jazz club? I, I, when I do it, I do more of a frilly skirt like a flamenco dancer. I do the action with my skirt. I mean, what are you talking about here? I just let my wool socks uh-huh. sag down from between my knees to my ankles <laughs> and then Show I slowly flush. lift up my skirt and yeah. people hey, turn in horror. Hey, sailor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so back to the 1920s. Al Capone was born in January of 1899. In Cicero. Yes. Very good. Yeah. January 17th, 1899. Thus, he was always one year older than the date. Oh. Right? Okay. Yeah. So 1925, Al Capone's 26. In 1926, Al Capone is Elizabeth? 27. Very good. So let's focus on that. Keep going on this. What about the next year? 
<laughs> How about in uh, 1984? Trick question. Uh, 1984, Elizabeth, go. How old is he? He was 1980 dead. He was dead. Nice. <laughs> Total. You nailed it. Okay, so let's focus on Al Capone's 27th birthday. Okay. He obviously did not join the 27 Club, so he made it past 27. Yeah, true. This story comes to us from Maurice Waller, the son of Fats Waller. He wrote a book about his dad. He shared a family story, right? So here we go. Okay. The Kidnapping of Fats Waller by the gangster Al Capone. Wait, kidnapping? A, a, by, a, fats, a fats Waller by the gangster need, Al sometimes, Capone. Sometimes my brain needs to catch up when mm-hmm. you tell I told me you these this crazy would be a, things. Who did what In to who? who? Where we yeah. are. So, anyway, 1926, Fats Waller is 21 years old. Okay. He's been a star in Harlem now since he was 19. He's young, as I told you, but he's used to the nightlife by now, or so he thought. He gets booked on a tour. He's playing northern, midwestern cities, Cleveland, Detroit. He makes out to Chicago. And he's playing a gig at a place called the Sherman Hotel, Elizabeth. It's a multi-night standing gig. Since it's 1926, Fats Waller attracts a bunch of Chicago gangsters. They all come out to see him, right? They show up, they're big mohair coats. What a crowd. They got a dame on their arm. Exactly. Picture that crowd. Just 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 let it run through your imagination. I'm going to do like an informal personal picture of it right now. (laughs) A little personal. Okay, I'm good. Yeah, thank you. So a bunch of dames on their arms who aren't their wives. Yeah. Men who are there basically to provide them protection. They got those bulges under their suits, right? Fats Waller, he's from New York. He's used to playing for gangsters. He's not afraid of this crowd. He's like, they're going to dance to my music like anybody else. So, as I said, the bulging overcoats and the heaters with them, don't, yeah. don't worry him none. So, after he gets done playing one night, Fats Waller walks out of Sherman Hotel. What does he walk into, Elizabeth? A pair of suspicious faces. Oh. Men walking right up on him. One has his gat out. For Uh-oh. persuasion. They hustle Fats Waller into a waiting getaway car, long black limousine. The two men got him into the limo, right? So Fats Waller's in their limo with him. One of the hoods gives the driver an instruction. He's like, take us back to East Cicero. Fats Uh-oh. Waller has no business in East Cicero, no, right? So he's no. like, well, who, did I, who did I wrong? Was there, was there a dancer I've been talking to who I, I shouldn't have been talking to? What yeah. have I done? He cannot figure out why he's being taken to East Cicero, yeah. right? He's desperately trying to think of why he's been grabbed and who would want him dead. And he's a Fats Waller. Po- and a little poop came out. Just a little poop. <laughs> So the long black limo arrives at its destination in East Cicero. It's a saloon, Elizabeth, called the Hawthorne Inn. The two hoods pull Fats Waller out of the car, take him inside the saloon. But really, once he's inside, he notices it's, oh, it's more of a nightclub. All right. For gangsters. It's just packed with mobsters. Oh, wow. In fact, the Hawthorne is is owned by a gangster. One... Alphonse Capone. Uh-huh. This is Capone's spot outside of town. So Fats Waller walks in, sees the joint is a jumping. Folks dancing, drinking, carrying on the whole carousing bit. Hoods with the one hood with the gun in his yeah. back. He guides Fats Waller over to the piano. He tells him, You play. Now, Fats Waller, all 21 years of him, and hoping to make 22, yeah. he does as instructed. He starts playing. <laughs> he gets that piano a bouncing. Those keys start a singing. Heating up. And Fats Waller, he gets done with his first song. Crowd applauds. They go nuts, right? Everyone. Because remember, as I said, jazz is the hottest music going, and they got the man playing Fats Waller. Yeah. Above all this applause, after it starts to die down, there's one man who's clapping the loudest and he continues to clap. You know who that man is, Elizabeth? Friend of the show. Leonardo DiCaprio. Meaty Paws himself, (laughs) Al Capone. For his 27th birthday, the boys got the boss a big surprise. Fats Waller. That's crazy. It was a birthday present? Yes. So let's take a little break and when we get back, I'll tell you how this birthday surprise plays out for Mr. Walla. Can 
I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60 day money back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Elizabeth. Yeah, hey. We're back. Hey, what's up? Chicago. Specifically, love it. East Cicero. I love I love Chicago. You're by enjoying the way. it, right? A no. little time by the lake. I love Chicago. Uh-huh. I'm loving this story, by the way. <laughs> this is fantastic. Okay, well, let's get further into what happened with Mr. Fats Waller yeah, and Mr. Alphonse Capone. So his boys grab the hottest musician in jazz going to make sure that their boss has a great 27th birthday. But they did not contact his agent or manager. They did it the Chicago way. Right. I was right? going to say, you could probably organize this. Yeah, you could. There's people you can t- contact. But you'd have to pay for he it. He has management. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but they're like, no, no, I have a gun. This will work easier. <laughs> no 10% of this one. So Fats Waller, he's in good company now that he knows he's not going to die. Right? He's like, yeah. oh, they want me to play. They're not going to kill me. So he plays a second song. Then he plays a third song. A fourth song, Elizabeth. He just keeps playing the rest of the night. When he gets tired, he stretches out on the piano bench and sleeps it off like in the middle of the like club? in the middle of the party the party keeps going on around him and he's just snoozing just snoozing on the piano bench like a real piano he player sets up a cozy zone and oh, he's yeah. out for for breakfast when he wakes up he has uh, some vintage champagne and then boom he's ready back to part playing alphonse capone is washed up and he's down there spats clean so it just never ends with these guys the birthday soiree is gangster they want to wow. have it be up to the nines you know they do crime for a reason they want to live that well that's true this is the boss's birthday you know you work hard you play hard exactly. Baron. <laughs> play so hard <laughs> Elizabeth. So Fats Waller, he only would stop playing to sip champagne or to eat a little nosh. 
He didn't go to the bathroom? Well, I guess he did that too. Let's just be real here. Okay, he yes. He did go also one and two. Okay. So <laughs> he, he wasn't just on the threes and fours. He also did a little one and two. Now, of course, you know, the food at this party must have been incredible. Yeah, Can you what imagine it? What is Alphonse Capone eating for his 27th birthday? Sausages. <laughs> you were a little too excited about that. <laughs> so for three days, this party lasts. Maybe he had tortellini on brodo. There we go. That's, That's what I was hoping for. Yes. Right I know you're all about the rustica Italian r- recipes. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway. Good, good for me. Go ahead. So three days, this party lasts, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. They're eating well. They're drinking well. They're one in and two in well. Fats Waller, he stays at the Hawthorne Inn with Al Capone and his gangster buddies the entire time. As I said drinking vintage champagne, playing all the songs he knows, songs he's just making up, right? According to his son, Maurice, he was getting tipped $100 for every song he played. Dang. The gangsters, they're shoveling Franklin's just in his pockets. He's tickling the ivories, right? Yes, please. The big boss is loving it. Fats Waller's loving it, too. He made thousands upon thousands of dollars. After the three days passed, same hoods, originally grabbed when they take Fats Waller on another long ride, this time back to Chicago. They take him back to the Sherman Hotel. And I'm guessing the management was, like, cool with this because they were like, you know, we had a three-day standing gig, but, you know, well, if Al Capone wants him, that supersedes. Did anyone have any, like, kind of maybe clue of where he was or are they just thinking? Just got grabbed by the mob and gone. Oh, they they figured he got grabbed by the mob? I'm, some, I'm assuming people, some people or? saw him. Like, you know, oh. he was out front and he was pretty famous. Yeah, well, I don't know. I thought maybe they, they got, got him out in front. He got thrown in a long black limousine, yeah. So it I'm wasn't thinking in the secret some, Maybe alley. like a newspaper boy saw him. Just imagine <gasps> a guy like in a little hat. like. And then he runs to the newspaper. Extra, extra. Fats Walla grabbed by Scarface. He saw it. Look what I saw. <laughs> exactly. And I don't know what accent that was. <laughs> that was interesting. That I was don't a know. choice. All, well, the kid had a speech impediment. That was a law and order level of choices. Yeah. <laughs> choice. <laughs> now, if you'd like to see Fats Waller perform for yourself, you can always watch him in the 1943 film Stormy Weather. Oh, I thought you were going to say like you can buy tickets now. No, he's dead. Oh. He's dead, Elizabeth. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. hundred years ago, he's performing. I want AI Fats Waller at my next birthday party. I'm going to pretend you didn't say and that. And I'm just going to throw <laughs> fake $100 bills. Up there with your Tupac uh, you know, uh-huh. hologram. He's not a hologram. <laughs> Let's be real. Let's be real about this. So anyway, I got another one for you if you got a second. Yeah, of course. This is the I one have I have a lot of seconds for This you. is the one I really wanted to tell you. So I kind of told you the Fats Waller one just to give you a sense of scale. Get me all head up. Yeah, this is you go like, oh, I've heard a story like this before. And then now I'm going to blow your mind with a I've crazier heard, story. Is it a kidnapping? It is a kidnapping <gasps> of a famous musician. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I have heard something like this before. Go right? on. Yeah, so let's jump forward in time, Elizabeth. From the Roaring Twenties to the Counterculture Sixties. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so this next one is about Jimi Hendrix. <gasps> Oh. Yeah. He got ki- Okay. Yeah, Jimi Hendrix got okay. napped as a man. He got man-napped. <laughs> yes. So in the summer of 1969, Jimi Hendrix plays the Woodstock Festival, right? Sure. That's where he played his epic version of the Star Spangled Banner for like 100,000 mud-crazed hippies while they're mm-hmm. lying about in sleeping bags and, you know, it's like, what was it? Breakfast in bed for 100,000? Yeah. Did Wavy I was there. I catered it. Yeah, you were there. You ate the oatmeal. Yeah, I, cat- I made the oatmeal. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Should have put cinnamon in. I anyway, did. I did. That was cinnamon? You weren't there, man. You don't understand. <laughs> You've waiting so long to I say that. So <laughs> now, a few months after Woodstock, this story takes place. Okay. In the fall of 1969. So this is Jimi Hendrix post-Woodstock, right? Okay. What I love about this story, as it's told, is Jimi Hendrix was kidnapped and he was completely unaware of it. Wait. Oh, honey. <laughs> because for him, it's just another lost weekend. Yeah. Okay. Now, of course, because I'm telling this, somehow this also tangentially involves cocaine. 
Because of course. I'm telling, How can right? you tell a story without cocaine? <laughs> the cocaine connection comes from John Roberts. He was a one-time like mobster. Like the chief justice? No, not him. Oh. <laughs> he was the guy who was John Roberts, not his real name, who was a one-time mobster for the Gambino crime family. Oh, who, so we got another connection there. Yeah, he got in, He got later involved in the cocaine trade for the mafia and eventually became a full-blown cocaine cowboy when he taught the Medellin cartel how to move stuff in Miami. He's like, here's how to get it over. So he got heavy in, yes, with Pablo oh. Escobar's group. Pablo, another one. <laughs> I'm telling you, all P the hits. And L. Yeah, they're like bookends of the spectrum. Oh, yeah, completely. Now, not just as a drug flunky, this guy, right? He was integral to the rise of the Miami Coke scene in the late 70s and early 80s. And then subsequently, the Miami Big Bass Sound. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the rise of Two Life Crew. Uh -huh. Now, this story takes place in 1969, back when John Roberts was just a young wannabe mobster. Okay. okay? He wrote all of about this in a book called American Desperado, which we should add to our ridiculous crime book club list. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to open a library. You need to start that. Like, what about a library on wheels? We only have, like, presidential libraries. Mm -hmm. What? I'm good crime enough library. for that. I'm, I deserve it. Oh, an Elizabeth Dutton library. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm just as good as they are. Of course so you are. So let's get me a... Possibly better. Let's get me a gold on library. <laughs> gold on I library? I'm trying not to say bad words. I appreciate that. The John Roberts a also would. library. Razzle, frazzle library Are for the old like, Elizabeth Clyde. You know those uh, little free libraries? Yeah, totally. Well, I'm going to put our logo on the side of one uh -huh. of them, and I'm going to fill it with these crime books. I like this. And then someone's going to put some, like, Deepak Chopra one in there, <laughs> and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to throw it in the street. <laughs> You don't Continue. like the Chopra. <laughs> anyway, John Roberts. Yes. And his co-writer. He had a co-writer, Evan Wright. And during the writing of the book, his co-writer, Wright, he noted that, quote, <laughs> a few stories strained credulity when we first sat down for the interviews that would form the basis of our book, right? So he's like, I don't know about this mobster. I think he's lying. Such as the kidnapping of Jimi Hendrix. He's like, that didn't really happen. Come on, yeah. John Roberts. <laughs> now, as the co-writer, Evan Wright, noted, and I quote, the tale seemed patently absurd until I began to look into the twisted history of the New York club scene in the late 1960s. Based on research and interviews I conducted, it turns out that not only does Robert's story appear to be true, he solves a mystery that has intrigued Hendrix biographers for more than three decades. No way. Yes. Confirmation comes from Hendrix's inner circle. When he passed away in 1970, his close friends spoke about a time just a year earlier in 1969 when he was kidnapped by the mafia in New York. This was talk amongst them, right? Okay. The story at the time was Hendrix was grabbed as part of a dispute with his record label. Huh. Yeah, right? Now, that may or may not be true. But what was true, Elizabeth, was that one of his mafia abductors was a man named John Riccobono. Okay. Which, coincidentally, was the name of John Roberts before he changed it. <gasps> he was he was the good Rico. And he was, then... Yeah, John Rico Bono. I'm the good, I'm good rich. Hey, I'm... So, Elizabeth, you No, it's a Rico charge, the, but good. The, the story of the kidnapping of Jimi Hendrix, I've yes. set it up enough, right? First, yes. let's return to John Roberts in his book, American Desperado. Yeah. In it, he recollects his days as a nightclub impresario in the late 1960s. Hmm. Being the kind of guy he is, he had a lot of opinions about that particular line of work. And I quote, when you run a nightclub, you will always get heat from the cops. The liquor license gives them an automatic reason to come into your place and snoop. Within a year of getting into the business, Andy and I started to draw real heat, not from the New York cops who could always be bought, but from the FBI. Two incidents made them nosy about us. I'll give you a guess about one of those incidents. Uh -huh. It was the kidnapping of <laughs> yeah, Jimi Hendrix. Say. FBI loves kidnappings. Well, and it's like you try, from my understanding, is that most mafia activities, you try and like keep it centralized and yes. localized and you don't want to flash Discreet. out on anything Discreet. to draw attention. Yes. And, you know, he, 
Jimi Hendrix doesn't fly under the radar. No, no. He is the opposite of discreet. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so imagine the New York nightclub scene at this point is popping off, but we're before Club you know, 54. This is pre-disco, but still the nightclub scene, right? At this point, still all weed, pills, coke, uppers, downers, reds, greens, quaaludes. Goofballs. Exactly. All your favorites, right? Swinging 60s. Ha, ha, ha. All right? John Roberts and his partner, Bradley Pierce, right? They're in charge of giving everyone what they want in terms of pleasure, right? So they open this new club called Salvation. Oh, yeah, boy. Yeah, right? So technically, they reopened a shuttered club, but whatever. They turned the place out. Then they score a major coup, and they convince Jimi Hendrix to play the opening night of their club. And yeah, he does, as John Robert recalled, and I quote, At the reopening, we had movie stars, models, and one of the Kennedys all waiting to get in. My oh, business one? partner, Andy, was always a funny guy. He pulled me aside. And he said, John, let's spike the punch. Let them all freak out at our party. We put handful of quaaludes in the punch. People used to call quaaludes leg openers because of the effect they had on women. Our party was unbelievable. People that had probably never been high on a drug in their life were taking their clothes off. Oh, my God. What can I say? John Roberts, class act, huh? I mean, oh, my God. <laughs> hey, the 60s. <laughs> so anyway, back to Jimi Hendrix. He's up on stage. He plays this gig. He kills it. The Kennedy's like, oh, great. Right. Yeah, well, which one? I don't know. I'm imagining uh, Ted at this point. So. Eunice. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's... Hey, he's also, by the way, Jimi Hendrix is out of his gazebo on drugs, right? Well, Just yeah. like not the good or sexy kind of drugs either. As Robert would put it, Jimi Hendrix tried to get me to shoot speed with him, but I wasn't into needles. So Jimi Hendrix is shooting speed to play rock in oh, front of these no. like, soon to be disco heads. And right? like, what a. Yeah, but it's like a disco club, and he's—he's he's not quite. It's a, but like a rock, still and rock roll club, club yeah, I guess. Exactly. But still, I, a lot of people don't know that Jimi Hendrix got down with shooting speed, right? They're like, I thought yeah, he was more was of like a hippie surprising. drug guy. Yeah. No, yeah, he had a dark taste in drugs. He liked speed. He liked heroin, right? As, I think he kind of liked it all. That's, I think, the point. He was a pan yeah. drug sexual. <laughs> now, as John Roberts wrote in his book, and I quote: "Jimmy and I were never great friends." He was so far gone. I don't think he was truly friends with anybody. Jimmy was a bad junkie. Jimmy had people all around him all the time, too. He was suffocating from these hangers-on. After we met at Salvation, he came to our house on Fire Island so we could get away from it all. We'd made sure nobody bothered him except for his real friends. Jimmy really liked uh, the blues guitarist, Leslie West. And one night, two of them played our living room all night long. Jimmy had to shoot speed in his arm to keep up with Leslie. Oh, God. That's how good Leslie West was. A few times, we took Jimmy water skiing off the back of my Donzi. He liked getting out and doing things physically, even when he was stoned. So, anyway, John <laughs> Roberts and Jimmy, obviously, not super close, God. right? But his business partner, the Andy Pierce guy, right? Yeah. He was close with Hendrix. So, that said, John Roberts does have a particularly funny story of him and Andy taking Hendrix water skiing off the back wait, of my Donzi. Wait. Oh, yeah. What? You know what a Donzi is, right? No. Just picture the biggest motorboat you can, then add in like a tower for water skiing. So it's like 900 like a... feet long. <laughs> not like that. Not like not like a cigar boat. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, like a uh, picture, oil tanker. Uh, picture like in the 1930s retro wood, all wood motorboats. Like you'd see them in Italy going between the canals, right? Yeah. Okay, the, uh, picture that and it is updated a little bit. And in it's a couple got a decades. tower on the back? No, we're like, putting a tower for the water skiing. But yeah. they, they may have just had like a post. I'm adding the tower for I'm you. I'm imagining it's like a hunting tower in the yeah. woods. Well, either way, Elizabeth, Whatever. what I'd like you to do is like close your eyes. Oh, and I thought it. I was in trouble as it closed. You are at the 20th century resort in Playland for the Rich and Famous and the well-connected semi-wealthy known as Fire Island. It's one of the barrier islands off the coast of Long Island. 
At the moment, you are the fabulous house guest of one John Roberts, a nightclub impresario and mafia wise guy. You are aboard his Donzi motorboat. It's a beautiful retro number, teak wood, the whole bit, a beauty. The sound of its motor, it's like the Ferrari of the water. This one is in tip-top shape, and it purrs against the quiet of the morning ocean. You are holding a red flag in one hand and a cocktail in the other. You are also still drunk and high from the night before. And really, none of you are in any kind of shape to be water skiing. But there you are, haha. So you're in charge of watching the skier when they go down, and you've been told to raise the red flag so that other boats know there's a water skier down in the water. As you sip from your cocktail, you watch the water skier carve long S-turns in the glassy morning waters of the ocean. The water skier is, of course, Jimi Hendrix. What? His wet afro hangs limpidly, wet curls droop past his ears, touch his shoulders. He looks like a strange combination of a wet cat and the happiest cat alive. <laughs> He's not wearing a life jacket. Just a huge beaming smile. He yells for John Roberts to go faster. You casually turn and you tell John Roberts, Jimmy says go faster. <laughs> faster! He shouts over the loud purr of the Donzi engine. Okay! The engine changes pitch. It roars as the boat zooms forward. Faster, yanking Jimi Hendrix along with it. He's giddy now. He tries another S-curve. You take a sip of your cocktail, and when you turn back, there's no one there. The rope is skipping along the wake of the boat. The Jimi Hendrix is gone. You try to remember what to do. Right, the flag is in my hand. You raise it. A moment passes. Wait, that's not all. You turn and shout, Jimmy went down. <laughs> now, John Roberts cusses. Ah! And then he drops the throttle. The boat slows dramatically. He spins the wheel, turns the boat around, and heads back to go find Jimi Hendrix lost in the Atlantic Ocean. Remember, no life jacket. Oh, no. And if Jimi Hendrix is anything like me, it also means he don't float. So in other words, my man is moments away from being far less experienced. Yeah, you're both pretty wiry. In, yeah, dead and drowned. So anyway, you can't see Jimi Hendrix. You were finishing your cocktail, and you keep lazily holding the red flag up for any other <laughs> boaters. Meanwhile, John Roberts is in a half panic as he searches for Jimi Hendrix. Finally, he spots him. He shouts, he's in the water, thrashing around. He tells you to throw the rope as he swings the boat past Jimmy. When you hesitate and continue to focus on the remainder of your tropical cocktail, John Roberts takes a step, grabs the rope from you, and he tosses it to Jimi Hendrix. His aim sucks. The rope lands a few feet from Jimmy. He has oh. to swim for it, which he tries to do. He's still flailing to get out of the water. He's frantic, like someone threw a house cat into a hot tub. Oh. Waving his arms, slapping the water, wet afro flopping about. The question now is, can Jimmy Hendrix even swim? Because I wasn't in the army. I thought they trained people in the army to swim. I Doesn't matter. I Clearly, he cannot swim well because Jimmy, is, he can't even make the rope. The business partner, Andy, jumps over the side of the boat and swims the rope over to Jimi Hendrix. He makes it, saving Jimi Hendrix's life. As he glides the boat over closer to them, you hear John Roberts mutter to himself, Jesus Christ, if this guy dies while well, out with us, what a headache that would be. What a headache. Yes, you take another pull from your tropical cocktail and are just glad you didn't have to jump into the ocean to save the guitar god guy. I'm the worst. Okay, <laughs> obviously <laughs> Jimi Hendrix did not die water skiing, but he right. came far closer than any fan would have ever wanted to a picture. Oh, well, yeah. Now, as John Roberts would later tell this story, Elizabeth, I had some good times with Jimmy, but he was a disaster on water skis. <laughs> Now, we've, now that we've done that, let's get into the kidnapping. But first, Elizabeth, yeah, let's take a little break. Oh, please, I got some messages let's... queued up. You want to oh, hear these? Oh, I you'll love these. Love it. Hit me with some ads. Consider these my mashups. These are my talkbacks. Oh. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, Elizabeth. Hi. Um, I've got a question for you. How good were those ads? Totally. Molto bene. Right? Pi- so piping good. hot, smelled delicious. I mean, they just hit the spot. Felt good against the skin. Let's listen to some again. <laughs> no. But uh, I do have a question for you about Jimi Hendrix. Uh-huh. How much fun is it picturing to him water skiing? Well, it's so fun. And I like your idea that he has this like super kid grin. Yeah. And then I was thinking when you're saying like, doesn't he know how to swim like for mm-hmm. the army mm-hmm. or whatever? Yeah. There's a big difference between swimming in a pool and swimming in an ocean. And true. I highly recommend. This is true. I I mean, I think everyone needs to know how to swim for emergency purposes yes, at a minimum. We're, and it's we're also, an aquatic ape. And it's, an, it's a wonderful activity. Yes. But it's really important if you learn how to swim to also learn how to swim in an ocean, yes. not just a pool. Yes, open ocean and open lake. Yeah, very important. So that's my public service announcement. Thanks for asking. Good, Go ahead. Good job, Citizen Dutton. And caller, back to you. Okay, so according to John Roberts, I'd like to get back to his account of the kidnapping of Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. So John Roberts' books, he said, says that Jimi Hendrix was, you know, just out on the town in New York, trawling the city, looking for some good smack, a.k.a. some new China white heroin. Yeah. Boom, Hendrix runs into a pair of young Italian-Americans. Hi, guys. <laughs> John Roberts <laughs> would say, not mafia, but wise guy wannabes. Oh, okay. So this pair of wannabe wise guys, right, they see Jimi Hendrix walking around outside the nightclub, the Salvation. Yeah. And they know it's him because no one else looks like Jimi Hendrix. Well, so it's yeah. like, that's Jimi Hendrix. So this dude swanning around in some psychedelic band leader outfit like you would wear on a Tuesday. Uh-huh. Something like that, yeah. right? They quickly come up with a plan like, oh, man. So imagine the conversation kind of like this. Uh, hey, I just got a brilliant idea. You want to hear it? Yeah, come on. You know I want to hear it. Okay. So you see Jimi Hendrix over there, right? Yeah, what the hell, what the hell is he wearing, huh? No, 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 never mind that. Listen, what if we go over there, we promise to hook up Hendrix with some coke, and then when he goes with us, we kidnap him and we hold him for ransom, huh? 
That oh, was their plan. This is so like a Sopranos type <laughs> exactly. plot line. Doesn't it feel like that? Yeah. Like, hey, we'll, we'll impress T. We'll like go, those two we'll goofballs that, you know, you know which one's the, in the show that I'm talking about because I've never seen the show, yeah. but that Furio goes and roughs up. Oh, and yes. Really, yeah. yeah, and yeah. it's the whole thing. Whatever. It's the whole thing that you haven't seen. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so these, these guys want to be wise guys. They follow Hendrix. He goes back to the club, The Salvation, and Hendrix is on his way in for a jam session. He's supposed to show up, but the pair of mobster wannabes, they catch up to him first and they offer him some Coke. Or heroin. I don't know exactly what they yeah, offered like him. Either way, he's like, like, oh, yeah. So Hendrix, like, he hears their offer and he goes, well, looks like I'm with you fellas, right? So Hendrix is, rolls with them. This is the start of a very strange tip for the old voodoo child. Oh, man. Yeah. So we'll get back to John Roberts' account because he's the most authoritative on this. In his account of the events, it went down like this. I got involved in Jimmy's so-called kidnapping after he was grabbed by some guys out of salvation. Later on, some people accused me of being involved in kidnapping him. They said I was involved with kidnappers who tied Jimmy to a chair and forced him to shoot heroin. Please. Please. So I'm thinking he was involved. And that's oh, just 100%. right off the bat. So Completely. Now, I'd like to set aside any ugly allegations and sensational aspects of this story, but no. unfortunately, that is the story. So yeah. <laughs> we're just going to have to get right back into the sensational. Back to John Roberts. Nobody would have to force Jimmy to shoot anything. Just give him the heroin and he'd inject it himself. It was Jimmy going out searching for drugs that got him into trouble. Andy and I were the ones who helped him to get out of it. So he's a saint. You know, okay, thus, yeah. He has the club salvation. I mean, that's what the man does. It makes does, sense. Right? So I like how this guy, you know, when he tells the story, he's like, Hendrix, he, he needed me. I yeah. am his personal savior. <laughs> like, well, I, and then, like, he can go and shoot up. Well, he doesn't also go and get kidnapped? Like, how? What? How? what's the... Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah, so... Uh, the, the great savior, right? The liberator who freed Hendrix. Mm-hmm. I'm fairly certain he was involved from the jump, right? Oh, yeah. And after it all went sideways, he cuts ties and starts telling a totally different story. Totally. That's my read. But That's how it comes across to me. I'll let you decide for yourself, Elizabeth. Thank you. You're a smart la- lady. Thank you. Here we go. Back to John Roberts. Jimmy had people who would usually buy dope for him, but sometimes he gets so sick he'd come into our clubs looking for drugs on his own. One night, two Italian kids at our club, not mafia, but wise guy wannabes, saw Jimmy in there looking for dope and decided, hey, that's Jimmy Hendrix, let's grab him and see what we can get. These guys were morons. So now that this part, this all checks with what we know. This is, you know, the story, right? This wannabe wise guys, they convince Hendrix to leave the club to go get the dope. And it's John Roberts, who apparently was able to either hear about this or see it from a vantage. Either way, he says, they promised Jimmy some dope and took him to a house out of the city. I don't know if they wanted money or a piece of his record contract, but they called Jimmy's manager demanding something. Next thing I know, the club manager called me and said, Jimmy had been taken from our club by some Italians. (laughs) <laughs> so why the manager felt immediately the need to call John Roberts, I think, speaks for itself. Yeah. Right? But yeah. What do, we, what do I know, Elizabeth? So now that the manager knows Hendrix has been kidnapped, what does he do? I mean, this is his golden goose. Uh, yeah. Well, naturally, the manager calls the cops. And since it's a kidnapping, what do they do? Sure. They call the feds. They call the FBI. Well, yeah, and it's such a high-profile kidnapping. So this update finds its way back to the mafia, I'm assuming, since they probably have feelers in the departments of the law enforcement. I would imagine so. And like John Roberts, I'm imagining, gets contacted from some folks in the organization, right? Yeah. And perhaps or maybe it was a small voice inside of him, and it wasn't somebody from the organization. They just told him, do the right thing, John. <laughs> yeah. Either way, what do I know? Like I said, he gets motivated. He gets on the horn. He finds Jimi Hendrix. Like, Boom, just like that. It's amazing. Wow. So fast. I'll I'll let him tell it. It took me and Andy two or three phone calls to get the names of the kids who were holding Jimmy. We reached out to these kids and made it clear. You let Jimmy go or you are dead. Do not harm a hair of his afro. (laughs) 
So I guess the wannabe wise guys, they really listened to John Roberts because they were quick to make things right. As uh, Roberts tells it, they let Jimmy go. The whole thing lasted maybe two days. Jimmy was so stoned, he probably didn't even know he was ever kidnapped. Andy and I waited a week or so and went after these kids. We gave them a beating they would never forget. Right, so these poor shalomiles, they get beaten down, if that even happened. I'm sorry, but every time you say John Roberts, I still keep thinking about the Supreme Court. Isn't that fun to picture? He's like in the room. so fun. He's like, a beating I'll never forget. (laughs) Ain't that right, Scalia? (laughs) So you remember I said the FBI guy gets called in. Well, the G-men, they didn't exactly go away. So even after Jimi Hendrix showed up without a single hair on his afro harmed, the FBI kept sniffing around, right? And they certainly, they smelled something hinking in the air. Uh Back to Chief Justice John Roberts. Here I was, the good Samaritan. But unfortunately, when Jimmy was grabbed, some of his people contacted the FBI. Even after he was safely returned, the FBI started poking around our business. This later led to them to tie Andy Benfonte and me to the murder of Robert Wood. That one good deed for Jimi Hendrix was resulted in me having to flee New York for Miami. Who knows? If it hadn't have been for saving Jimi Hendrix, I might never have hooked up with the Medellin cartel and Pablo Escobar in Miami and started in the cocaine smuggling business. Wherever you are, Jimmy, thank you. Wait, there's so much to unpack. He is thanking Jimi Hendrix for well, getting him all, to be friends with Pablo Escobar. Like that, the, the <laughs> kidnapping—that's the reason he gets busted for a murder. Yes. Uh, well, a, rela- a related murder. I, it no, doesn't but I'm matter. saying yeah. he thinks he would have. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the other one. There's so. just a lot. There's a lot going on in that quote. <laughs> right? I just love it at the end. Wherever you are, Jimmy, thank you. <laughs> I, I got to meet Pablo Escobar now. Jimmy's just I'm like deep in the cocaine. His head. <laughs> yeah. So, as strange as this whole let's kidnap Jimi Hendrix and get high with him plan was, right? Yeah. And obviously it failed. What happened next, Aaron? Uh, what happened next there? Oh, thank you for asking, Elizabeth. Oh, You're going to love this. It's going to curl your toes. Uh-oh. For one, there was a conspiracy that perhaps Jimi Hendrix was in on it and okay. that there was no kidnapping. Instead, he and the mafia conspired against his record label, because remember that was mentioned. Uh-oh. So that way he could have some leverage yeah. for, I don't know what, his contract renegotiations. How does that produce leverage? There's a more obvious angle, though, okay. that John Roberts was involved in the kidnapping, well, yeah. which we've discussed. And as for his involvement, of course, John Roberts vehemently denied this. He's uh-huh. like, come on now, please. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe it backfired because he got the attention he didn't want, but oh, yeah. it doesn't, yeah. Well, it gets deeper than that. because He points out that he he wasn't at the club that day, right? As okay. if that has any bearing on his guilt. Because sure. isn't that the classic, I wasn't there. Well, why weren't you there? You're yeah. Like, whoever wasn't there that day, that's the one who's these, guilty. These are my pants. These are not my pants. <laughs> exactly. And so, so on and so forth. But uh, I'm no wannabe wise guy. What do I know? I don't know. Back to John Roberts, right? He always pointed to the fact that he was the one who found and freed Hendrix. I'm a salvation guy, right? Yeah, he wants so, your salvation. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> so, now, that to me is not the most convincing argument since his kidnapper would have the same ability to free him yeah. as the person who is the a savior, yeah. right? But there were some who felt that John Roberts was involved and was working with Jimi Hendrix's manager. Uh-huh. Yeah, which to me makes sense. Okay. Right, yeah, because... It's a really complicated attempt to blackmail the record label into a better contract. That doesn't make sense. Right. But something else does. I prefer the theory that the manager was in cahoots with John Roberts and he had the mafia kidnap his client. And then the manager would act as the hero and save him. And his deeply indebted and grateful client, Jimi Hendrix, wouldn't go and get a new manager, which he had been threatening to do. Oh, okay. Yes. And that's a motive, right, for yeah. kidnapping? Yeah, yeah, That one makes sense to me. But yeah. wait, I have to warn you, things are about to get even darker than that. Because oh. I don't have to speculate because there is a man named James Tappy Wright. He was Jimi Hendrix's former roadie. Oh, okay. He also wrote a book. We got a really literate crew. Oh, my gosh. Right? I love him. Book title, Rock Roadie. 
Oh, that's creative. Yeah, I thought you'd like that one. <laughs> and in Rock Roadie, he accused the manager, Michael Jeffrey, of murdering Jimi Hendrix. Wait. Yes, the roadie to Hendrix wrote that the manager confessed to him that he murdered Jimi Hendrix. What? And I know, I know, I, this breaks our 1% rule, but I thought this one was worth bringing up. So according to James Tappy Wright, the manager gave Hendrix a boatload of pills and booze as part of his plan to kill him and get rich off of an insurance policy that he had on the rock star. The way he tells it, the manager confessed his murder plot one year after Hendrix died and two years before he himself would die in a plane crash. So we have no other confirmation or denial. And that's why he hasn't sued over the book. Exactly. Okay. As the roadie Wright writes, <laughs> I can still hear that conversation. See the man I'd known for so much of my life, his face pale, hand clutching at his glass in sudden rage. That's the manager. He's talking about Michael yeah. Jeffrey. Later on, he quotes the manager's version of events, writing that he said, and I quote, this is the manager speaking. Okay. He's quoting the manager. I was in London the night of Jimmy's death, and together with some old friends, we went around to Monica's hotel room, got a handful of pills and stuffed them into his mouth, then poured a few bottles of red wine deep into his windpipe. What? Yes. There was indeed a life insurance policy, and since Hendrix was estranged from his family, the manager, Jeffrey, was the beneficiary of a $2 million payout. Are you kidding? I've never heard any of this. this. It, uh, British, I found this all in British press. The yeah. American press was hard to find this, but it was all over the British press. I had to piece huh. it together from different stories. But okay. the roadie right recalled that the manager told him, and I quote, I had to do it. Jimmy was worth much more to be dead than alive. That son of a was going to leave me. If I lost him, I'd lose everything. Starting to sound pretty murderous, isn't oh, it? Oh, wow. So there it is. It's all circumstantial, I would admit that. But for someone like me, it's pretty damn compelling. Yeah, and I tend yeah. to believe roadies, teamsters, you know, the people who are around but have no real value. Oh, yeah. like, no you know, one pays attention to them. Exactly. But they see everything. They see everything. People yeah. look past them. So I tend to yeah. believe those guys. They are. They were there and they tell what they know. Uh -huh. Anyway, which means I think Jimi Hendrix was kidnapped by the mafia as part of a plot by his manager. And then a year later, his manager likely offed him. Wow. Wow, right? Wow. You know, I think that's, you've earned the 1%. I know. I felt bad bringing we've, in the. We've banked a lot of 1%. We have, yeah. I think like we, we have. Could, we could do like a 200% if we wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> we've avoided it often. As, yeah. So like, I thought this one was important to include. Wow. Well, Elizabeth, what's our ridiculous takeaway on aye, this one? Ay, ay, um, my ridiculous takeaway? You want to know my ridiculous yeah, takeaway? Yeah, maybe I'm over here asking You've that. You've never asked that. Yeah, I consider it a fresh thing. What? How does it feel? Um, I think my ridiculous takeaway is I'm still trying to process the idea that, that Jimi Hendrix was purposefully poisoned, in essence, with... By Chief Justice John Roberts. By Chief Justice John Roberts. <laughs> that is just no. too much yeah, So my... Michael Jeffrey, the manager, yeah, was working wow. with apparently mobsters. And then when that didn't work, he's like, I'll do it myself. Well, and it's like, you know, it wasn't a surprise. No. Jimi Hendrix's death, I no, would sadly, assume. No, sadly, it was not a surprise for his inner circle. But it was still one of those things that I think, uh, like Prince's passing, you're left wondering, with you're left with questions. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, is that when you have these instances where it's not a surprise, but it's still, um, you, you know this person, that the world is a little too mm -hmm. much for, for them, and mm -hmm. they're a little too much for the world. Oh, completely. Uh, but they that also makes them susceptible to these types of things. And these types of people. Yeah. Because, you know. That's, that is terrible. When you're a dreamer, you don't got, like, you know, the feet on the ground. People yeah. come along and be like, oh, hey, I'll hold you up. My ridiculous takeaway, thank you for asking once again. Uh, <laughs> you got another one? This was a... <laughs> This was, Zaren, this was a thrill ride, okay. but hot doodles, it's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I, I didn't know how to get around that part. I was like, I, I can try to find but a, like you a, have to. You have to tell like that a light story. joke and land on. I was like, there's nothing other than like, so how about wet Jimi Hendrix? That was fun to picture. Right. No, right? that was, yeah. that was uh, no, the, this was a really beautifully constructed episode. I do have to say that. Oh, well, thank Zarin. you. 
What's your ridiculous takeaway? What do I got to do everything over here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> My ridiculous takeaway is that I was really uh, glad to hear that Jimi Hendrix and I have more in common than I imagined, which is that we both would look like wet cats when wet and would likely <laughs> drown if if people, you know, who are supposed to be helping us by dragging us around the ocean in a boat and they put down their drinks long enough, they'll, they could save our lives because we are going to go down. I was like, man, Jimmy, I feel you. You can swim in the ocean. Oh, you a, surf. W- yeah, but with a wetsuit, that, that has a lot of buoyancy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No trust. I'm always glad to have that wetsuit. <laughs> oh, uh, that's all I got for you today, Elizabeth. That's all I have for you. So, you and move for so talk back. Maybe we can <gasps> refresh oh, our palate with that. How about that? Always. Producer Dave, hit it. Talk oh, my God. Did he just say that? OMG. Hi, Elizabeth and Zarin. My name's Kathleen, and I wanted to talk about Thursday's episode where you mentioned Irish step dancing. I was a competitive Irish step dancer for 13 years, and I can confirm that it's pretty incestuous, and you definitely do it at bars when you're drunk as an adult. But also, my teacher for over a decade was Sandra Connick. Thanks so much for all you do. I really appreciate listening to you twice a week. Wow, that was Kathleen. dope. Kathleen. Yeah. She's amazing. Love Kathleen. Totally. Shout uh, out. I, and like, the, she had the, the big boss as a teacher. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And she also pointed out that uh, my random dancing I- idea of children dancing in bars has almost an analog, but it's adults. So yeah, I, I got yeah, I got corrected. There it is. So thank you for that. <laughs> anyway, uh, as always, you can find us online, Ridiculous Crime, on the uh, social media sites. Uh, we also have the website, RidiculousCrime.com. Uh, obviously, love your talk back. So please go to the iHeart app. Hit us up. Let us know how you feel, what you're thinking, what crimes you've been getting into. No, don't do that. But either way, yeah, email us. Yeah, we used us. to ask for confessions. Yeah, if you want to do a confession, obviously we love them, but we'll continue to be your voice. I don't think we Maybe confess hear... someone in your family, not yours. I don't think yours. we want to hear those no? anymore. No, well, it never turned out well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, email us if you'd like, ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next crime. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by Spanish Castle Magic Man Dave Kustin. Slight return. Research is by Marissa Golden Brown and Andrea The Wind Cries Mary is my favorite song, Sharpentier. <laughs> Our theme song is by Thomas Axis Bold as Live, Laugh, Love. Lee and Travis, well, maybe I was misbehaving, Dutton. The host wardrobe provided by Body 500. Executive producers are Ben Fats Waller is my favorite musician named Fats Bowling, and Noel, he's my favorite Waller Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.
The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com/slash the Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.